This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Amen, amen. What's going on, Elevate? Boy, I love worshiping with you guys. So I do want to open, whoa, things loud, with a thought. I'm going to ask a not-trick question, and I need someone to answer it, but just know that if you answer my question, you have to prove it. Are you ready for this? Would someone like to answer to me, what is this? It's a cowbell? All right. I'll come over here. This isn't a trick question. Ethan, I want you to prove to me it's a cowbell. Prove it. Ah, fantastic. Well done, Ethan. So the idea is that what it does reflects its identity. How did you prove it? You shook it. And it rang like a bell. You proved it, right? So hold that in mind. We're talking about Matthew. And we're going through the book and seeing how King Jesus operates and how his kingdom functions. And tonight, we're going to talk about what is the standard that the king holds us to. We have speed limits that hold us to a certain standard. We have state rules and laws, and there's the government that sets out these principles and administrations that enforce laws on us, and we are held accountable to those laws. And King Jesus has the same kind of law and commandment. But what is it that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are held accountable to? Oscar Hammerstein, you can look him up later, and it is a him. I know that for a fact, because I got somebody's gender wrong a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Oscar Hammerstein said, A bell is not a bell until you ring it. A song is not a song until you sing it. Love in your heart is not put there to stay. Love isn't love until you give it away. The kingdom of heaven... And in the kingdom of heaven, everything that we do is measured by how we love and who our love is invested in. That's what it comes down to. All the laws of the Old Testament, every expectation that the Lord would have of his people, that King Jesus would have of his kingdom's citizens, comes down to this. Who do you love and how do you love them? And when we ring this bell, we have to recognize that the bell, its identity is found in how it acts. Now, you can find other things that ring that are not a bell. But because it is, by identity, a bell, it will ring. Super simple, right? This is not complex. We're not doing rocket science. The love that we're talking about is not the, the mushy, sort of emotional love that you hear about in every pop song or at the end of every rom-com. But we're talking about love that is intentional and consistent over time, which is hard. Love that is put, poured onto those who are hard to love, 
who you don't want to love. Love which denies our own feelings and love that denies our own gain. You see, in society, what they're going to try to say about love is they come up with this really fluffy, ethereal idea, and they'll just say, all you need is love. Just love. Just, that's all it is. Just love everyone. And if everyone would just love, everything's going to work out great. We'll have this perfect society, this John Lennon in Imagine society. I mean, listen, imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. If everyone would just love. But if that's it, if this is love without direction, love without foundation, this is like putting a basketball team out onto the court and saying, just go out and shoot, but there's no goal. Just shoot in the air, just randomly. And you're like, coach, why? What am I shooting at? doesn't matter. All that matters is that you put the ball in the air. And the other team is like, oh, these losers. And your coach is like, no, just as long as you're keeping the ball in the air, you're winning. You're winning. Just keep shooting. No, there has to be a direction. There has to be a purpose. And in Christ's kingdom, who we love and how we love expresses every law of that kingdom. Matthew 22, 33 through 40 is our passage for tonight. And we're talking about what is the standard of our king. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So let's slow this down a little bit. First verse, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. At this point... Jesus had shut down the chief priests, the elders, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. He's just cutting everybody down. What it is, is they're coming to debate Scripture with the author of Scripture. They're bringing a spoon to a gunfight. And Jesus keeps cutting them down one at a time, proving over and over and over again the truth in Scripture. And so they gather up together. Let's put our minds together. Let's come up with a way that we can finally trip up Jesus. Are you ready? Let's huddle. So they're gathering together. One, two, three. Huddle. Break. And then one of them, a lawyer. a lawyer. So he's not just a Pharisee. He's a lawyer of Pharisees. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So this isn't just a guy who knows Scripture really, really well. He's not just a guy who's recognized and revered as holy. He's a guy who argues for a living. This is his job. If there is an MVP on the Pharisee team, this is the guy. And so he comes up to Jesus and he asks the question to test him. And you notice he's not seeking truth. It says that he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to figure out, does Jesus have a weakness? I used to have a horse. And this horse would lean its rear end into the barbed wire fence in all the different places around the fence. Because it's trying to find which of the posts, which of the barbed wire is the weakest. And it would just, you'd see it lean back against the fence until the fence came down. And then my horse would head for the hills. And that's what they're trying to do. Where's the weakness in Jesus' theology? Where is he going to stumble? 
And so he tests him, and he asks him this question. Teacher! How about that for sarcasm? The whole point is to tear him down, and they open up with, teacher. Teacher, which is the great commandment? And you see, back then, they would sit around and argue which of the laws of Moses were the greatest and which were the least. Like, if you had to follow this one or this one, which one is greater? And so you had different camps, and they argued different things. Oh, no, this is the greatest law. Oh, no, this is the greatest law. And so for them, they think they're tripping up Jesus. This is going to be great. We're going to, like, pigeonhole him into this group, and then we'll have the right argument against him. Sort of like the, can God make a rock that he can't move? You know, they're trying to, like, pigeonhole him into something kind of to, to back him in, right? And it shows what they view about the law, because if they think that this law is greater and this law is lesser, it reveals that to them the law is nothing more than a whole bunch of works that you do to try to make God like you or the people around you think that you're something great. So that the law has nothing to do with mercy. It has nothing to do with grace. It has nothing to do with caring for widows or orphans. It has everything to do with, can you check all the checkboxes that you're a really good person? So it reveals their heart. Which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers by quoting Deuteronomy 6. He's, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So I want to turn. Let's go to Deuteronomy and let's look at the verse that Jesus is pulling from because I think there's some interesting stuff here. It's called the Shema. And the Jews every single morning would quote this as tradition. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. And it begins like this. Hear, O Israel. Like, listen, pay attention, respond, take action in response to what we have to say. They did not have, in Hebrew, a word for obey. All they had was the word hear. So hear means listen and respond with obedience. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh. That's the all capital letters. That's the divine name of God. Yahweh, our God. Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And doing a little bit of word study, I found out, that where I thought these words were sort of interchangeable, I was like, you know, heart and soul, they're kind of the same thing. I found out some interesting things. So heart, in the Hebrew understanding, is your innermost organ. This is where they believed your emotions came from, your wisdom, how you reasoned out decisions, where your deepest desires came from, where your emotions came from. And think about it. It's what keeps your body alive. This, to them, this was that, that inner you of who you are. Your consciousness was your heart. Soul is actually the opposite of what I expected. You see, it's Greek philosophy that soul is some sort of immaterial thing that's in your body, this ghost in the system that's in you, and then when you die, your, your body sort of as a cage that releases the soul. That's a Greek philosophy. That's not Old Testament Bible. To them, soul literally means your throat, the place where your life air comes in and out of. And by soul, they actually meant your physical being, your totality from head to toe, this is who you are. If they said that someone was a kidnapper, they would call you a soul thief. You stole them. You took that person. If you're a murderer, you're a soul killer. If someone is dead, you don't say that the soul has left the body. That's the Greek philosophy. You'd say that this is a dead soul. Think about 
Someone would say about a ship, how many souls were lost? Well, how many souls are in your family? I've got seven souls in my family. It's this totality of the whole person. If someone was deeply in love, they would say, my soul loves you. All of who I am loves you. So you have this innermost person of who you are, and you have the totality of your physical person in heart and soul. Strength does not mean like muscle strength. Strength is actually, for the nerdy people in here, it's an adverb. It's not a noun. It's an adverb that that says that something is to the extreme. It is very much so. It is extremely or very. It intensifies a word of meaning. So when it says, love God with all of your innermost being and all of your physical being, it's saying, do these to the extreme. With all of your strength, love him with your heart and soul. To the maximum that you have. So you love God with your inner being and your physical being to the maximum. This is how we love God. Completely, inside and out. And then if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four talk about how we love God, but I just want to mention the first two. The first one is, you shall have no other gods beside me. None. And the second one is, don't have any idols, no images, nothing that is graven or carved. Because God is holy. Now listen to me right now. This is interesting. God is holy, which means he is other. He is set apart from what is the physical realm. Which means if he is spirit, if he is different than anything that we know in the physical, there is nothing in the physical realm which can accurately portray him. Because he's other. He's not physical in any way. Any, anything, no matter how beautiful it is, is an offensive representation to God who is completely spirit and other and unique and set apart from the physical. This, goes, this is what Paul means in Romans when he says in Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Instead of worshiping the creator, they worshiped what he created, which is stupid. Whenever we look at the Ten Commandments, not only do we love God with all of our heart and all of our soul to the extreme, but we love him only. There is no room for a second place, for a God on the side, for a a mistress, for a runner-up in our lives. God's requirement is that you love him with the totality of love that we have. And there is none other in that scope. And what's so beautiful about the whole graven image thing is that only one could ever represent God and represent him perfectly. And that is Jesus Christ. That the word was with God and the word was God. And then jump forward 14 verses and the word became flesh and walked among us. And then you jump to Colossians chapter 1 and it says that he is the visible image just like Exodus 20, the second commandment. No other images, no carbon images. But Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God who perfectly, fully, and infinitely represents spiritual God. So powerful. 
So here's the question that I think we need to ask next. If God would require such a total, maximum, complete abandon of all others to love him and him only, what would compel a citizen of heaven to make that kind of decision and sacrifice? Why would the citizens of heaven gladly give such total and zealous devotion to God? I like how John answers it. 1 John 4, 8-10 through Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Listen to this. In this is love. This is it. This is how you define love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. We didn't earn anything. He loved us before creation. We didn't have the ability to make him like us. We didn't have the ability to do all the right things so that we could earn his favor. His love is without any stipulations. It is complete and total grace. Grace meaning unmerited favor. There's nothing you can do from the worst sinner to the greatest goody two-shoes. God's love for his people is the same because it has nothing to do with merit. It is completely out of the heart and the love of God. So before you can do anything good or before you can do anything bad, his love was already towards you. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And then he took action and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big fancy word, propitiation. They had to make it up to try to translate a word in Greek that didn't make sense in English. Propitiation means that where God's wrath was toward man for sin, that God sent his son to quench and appease that wrath, to pay the price that we owed. He was the substitute for us. So God himself pays the price himself so that his everlasting law is appeased. Propitiation. Citizens of his kingdom have experienced God's love. We know his attributes and we've given our lives in response to such an incredible love. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Someone actually asked Jesus this. Jesus, who's my neighbor? I mean, it's not that guy over there. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? Is it this guy right here that's really close to me that like, I'm best friends with? Who is it? And then Jesus gives them the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable where the person loved was the enemy of the person giving the love. That's crazy. The person that they least should have given favor to. At the very last person in the world they should have given grace to. That's the person that the Samaritan crossed the road to be closer to. To sacrifice for. To lift up. Jesus gives this foreshadowing of the final judgment. The final judgment. So now's a good time to pay attention. This is what it's going to sound like. 
It says that the Son of Man, when he comes in his glory, he's going to sit on his throne in judgment. And before him will gather all the nations. And he's going to separate people one from another. Like a shepherd separates the goats from the sheep. He'll divide people. And he's going to place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king's going to say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. And the righteous are going to answer, when? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you hungry or in prison or naked? or, or when, when? And Jesus says, whenever you did those for the least, you were doing them to me. And then he's going to look over at these on the left and say, you're going to judgment. Now why? Well, when you saw me hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. When you saw me thirsty, nothing to drink. When I was cold and naked, you didn't offer me anything to wear. When I was in prison, you never visited me. And they'll say, when? When did we leave you destitute? When did we abandon you? When did we reject you? And he'll answer, as you did to the least of these, you did that to me. Go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see, to God, how we love Him is often defined by how we love people. We love Him through loving the people around us, but not just anyone. He says, the least. Like, think of your list. For a second, think of your list. Like, who's on the top of your list? Who do you love the most? Is that like your mom, your best friend? Like who's at the very top of your list? This is the person I would sacrifice everything for. I love them. And then let's move down the list, you know, maybe down to the middle, down to the people that you feel sort of neutral about. You know, the person that sort of like gives you your, your Chick-fil-A and you're like, oh, yeah, they're cool, you know, I got my Chick-fil-A. You know, just, you know, the, the middle ground people, you know. But let's move down a little bit further down the list to the people that we're sort of just perturbed with. You know, these are the people that should fill the potholes in the road. These are the people that, you know, maybe your teacher that's just ornery. You know, they just annoy you a little bit. And then let's, let's push a little bit further down the list. And as we scroll down the list, maybe, maybe we get, start getting a little more bitter, a little more annoyed, and we start coming down the lower realms of the list. And down here in this part of the list are the people that have bad-mouthed us behind our backs, and they hurt us, and we're just... We can't stand them. We walk big circles around them. We hope we don't see them when we get to that, that party or that family gathering. These down here. We don't talk about them. We, don't, we try to ignore them. We have blocked them on social media. Or we leave them on social media so we can just be mad at them when we see their pictures. And when Jesus says that we love him through loving others, it says the least. We're not talking about the fluffy human love that comes easy anymore. That's an emotion that boils up whenever we get excited about being with somebody. We're not talking about the love that just comes naturally. Jesus says, hey, the unbelievers will be nice to the people that are nice to them. But in God's kingdom, we will stand in judgment of whether or not we were willing to extend an unearthly love, unnatural love, 
grace to the people that are at the bottom of our list. That is uncomfortable. John Henry Jowett says this. He says, push back the walls of family love until they include your neighbor. Again, push back the walls until they include the stranger. Again, push back the walls until they understand and comprehend the foe. 1 John 4, 19-21 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, hates his neighbor, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is John. This is one of the disciples who walked with Jesus. He's quoting Jesus right now. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so we can't say that we love God if we are not willing to love people. It's actually evidence that God's not in us if we're not willing to give love. Why? Because Christians love people the way God does. Let's say I could have for a moment the person standing right here that I dislike the most. This bottomless person, right? Right here. And let's say that I'm over here and believe it or not, God loves them. And God is offering to them his love. And I stand in rejection to them. Now, what is my position towards God? If you were to tell me that you hated my wife, no matter how much I might have liked you before, you have made yourself my enemy. Does that make sense? And so for me to deny and reject love from, yes, even the people that are hardest, is for me to actually divorce myself from the character of God. When God is love, and if God lives in me as a Christian, if his Holy Spirit is dwelling in me as his temple, then his character is going to be what surfaces. And if it's his character doesn't surface even in the hard times, especially in the hard times, then maybe I need to do a double check on whether or not my life is submitted to Christ or not. Now, this is hard stuff. I get it. I'm going to throw myself under the bus with you guys that this is hard. But human love can't do this. This has to be a love that is different than all of society understands. It is a divine love, a love that only comes from God. Check this out. I don't know if you caught this or not, but when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he preluded it with this. And the second is like it. The second is like the first. What was the first? Love the Lord your God. The second is like that one. So we will love the people around us in the same way that we love. Anyone catching up with me? We will give the same devotion we will give the same emphasis, intentionality, purpose, and passion to loving people around us that we have already given him. If we are willing to love him, we take all of our frail, fickle, human love, and we give it wholly to him. I'm all yours, Lord. There's no second place. I'm completely abandoned except for you. My heart and my soul are all yours. Then the God of love, God who is love, 
will pour himself through his temple, his earthly temple, jars of clay, that's us, through us and his divine love will flow through us to the people around us. So that no longer are people receiving our temporary, frail, and fickle love. They're receiving God's love through the conduits of his people. Are we on the same page? So the next time you say to yourself, there's no way I can love them. Instead of focusing on them, if you want to be obedient to your king, you take what love you think you don't have, and you give it to him, and he's going to challenge, and he's going to flow through you in impossible ways. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Remember the, remember the Samaritan? Remember the Jew? They hated each other. And one was willing to act like Christ. In King Jesus' kingdom, his expectations boil down to who you love and how you love them. Love God with total and complete abandon. And then watch what God does. Then, and only then, are you able to love your neighbor unconditionally, sacrificially, and even close the distance. We can't keep God's law of love. It's humanly impossible. Because of our selfishness, because of our limited capacity, we'll always default to our own self-love. But if we love him first and his fountain is flowing through us, we can give a love that is not our own. The second is like the first. To love people without loving God. To try to say, I'm just going to love people. I don't need to be a Christian to just love people. That's not just getting the cart in front of the horse. That's a cart minus the horse. That's, that's a car minus the steering wheel and the gas. To give real, genuine, unconditional, sacrificial, distance-closing love, it must begin with loving God first. It's like handing someone who's thirsty an empty water bottle. And you can give them four bottles or a hundred bottles or a thousand water bottles and you still aren't meeting their need for love because you don't have the fountain a part of your life. Elevate. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Give him all of who you are. If there's any part in you that you're saying, God, I'll give you 99%, but this one little piece, you, I know that doesn't really matter to you. I really sort of enjoy this. It's really not, it's not bad. I mean, it's not sin, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this over here for me. Elevate, surrender, give it all. Be completely abandoned with no second places in your life. The only way that you will have a future marriage that is unconditional, sacrificial, and closes gaps is if you have first loved him wholly so that your love for them is not temporary. It's a God love for them. The only way that you're going to be able to love enemies and pray for them and give them grace is if the God who gave you grace before you deserved it is living in you. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and do it to the maximum. If you want to go and study this out a little bit more, I challenge you to notice that Jesus adapts the wording from heart, soul, and strength to heart, soul, and mind. Go check it out. Why the difference? Have fun with that. So in review, the sum total of all God expects for us is summed up into simply love God and love people. 
Christians cheerfully give the total of all their love to God because he first loved us. Loving people is a critical form of how we love God. The next time you tell a joke that makes someone feel bad, you've done it to Christ. The next time you cuss at someone online, however you do it, you've done it to Jesus. The next time you go out of your way to be sacrificial, to do a spontaneous expression of love, you've done it to Jesus. Remember that there really is no difference between your spiritual life and your secular just life life. For a Christian who is of the priesthood of God, a holy priesthood, a citizen of heaven, for a Christian who has the Holy Spirit living in them, every action of every part of your day is holy. That's, a, that's crazy. Everything that we do is a dedication. We're laying it as an offering on the altar to God. That is huge. That redefines how we talk. Where suddenly we understand why Scripture says that we will stand in judgment for every idle word. It doesn't say bad word. It doesn't say mean word. It says every word that doesn't have purpose. We stand in judgment for it. Why? You're a holy priesthood. You're walking as the temple of God, as a light and salt in the dark places. Of course, everything that we do that is empty or purposeless, we're held accountable for. We serve a living God who deserves the glory of every word we speak, of every action we take, of every thought that crosses our mind. And so, oh Lord, that we would sacrifice all of who we are, that we would submit it to you because our thoughts are so filthy and our actions are so selfish and our words are so unguarded. God is calling us to a higher standard, to love with complete abandon, to love him first and to have no second place. We love through action and nothing less. Love unexpressed is not love. And we will not be able to effectively love people without first loving God. Is this a bell? And I say, ask Ethan to prove it. And he did great. I gotta ask, are you a Christian? Prove it. Because how you love defines your identity. So I've got two challenges for you. The first one, so simple. Spend the next seven days having phoneless meals. As in, the next time you sit down to eat, if there is anybody other than just you alone, bell on your phone. Put it in your pocket, turn the volume off, leave it in another room, whatever. Spend one week that at your meals you will be intentional for the other people at the table or across the stool, whatever, wherever you eat, in whatever situation. Spend seven days of phoneless meals so that you are intentional because you can be standing right next to someone and be a million miles away. Thank you, Brian Harper. So let's spend seven days giving someone our attention every time we sit and eat. Number two, Pick someone that you are really sort of not liking at the moment. Yes, that person. And find some way that you can show care this week. Ouch. Maybe you ought to start with prayer. What is a way that you can show that person care this week? Oh, Lord, it is an honor to serve you. It is an honor to love you. And it is an honor to be used 
for your love in the world around us. Lord, forgive us our frailty. Forgive us where we fall short. Forgive us for every thought, word, and action that is just idle and purposeless. Grow in us a discipline to be purposeful, intentional, loving Christians. Lord, if we are the temple, that means that we are the place where people can come to encounter God. Forgive us when we stiff-arm people at the door. When we walk past people without making eye contact because we don't want them to have that opportunity. Ouch. Lord, have your way in us. Flow through us. Lord, let there be Let there be one. Let there be two. Let this be a room full of people that are willing to love you wholeheartedly because before we can do anything right or wrong, you loved us and you died on the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, bless Elevate tonight. Bless every man and woman here. Send them into your mission field with purpose and on fire. Not with temporary emotion, but with resolve that only comes from your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We give all of this to you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.